we have been witnessing over the last two years or more a whole struggle within the ANC for a, a change of direction. And, and it appears that it may have happened, but we, we're not quite sure. And so tonight we have on the line with, uh, with us our old friend uh, Dan uh, O'Mara. Dan, are you there? I'm here, Doug. Oh, good to hear from you. And how are you, sir? Well, and you? Good, 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 good. So, so it, it, you know, what was going on was, of course, the 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 uh, the old guard uh, that had brought Zuma into power, uh, and uh, and and all of the nefarious things that we've seen ever since the corruption and the the, the guptas and all of that uh, uh, seems to have uh, met a wall, but a very slim majority wall to. Uh, to uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, who was uh, quite the hero of the liberation struggle some mm-hmm. time ago. Uh, so who were the competing parties in this leadership struggle for the presidency of the ANC, the party itself? Well, the, it can boil down to two main factions. The one was the Ramaphosa one, which is opposed to the Zuma leadership and particularly the uh, intense corruption that has grown up under Zuma. It began before. Uh, it began with the arms deal that, in fact, Mandela put in place, and Zuma was the principal culprit in the, the corruption around that. But particularly since Zuma took over as president in 2009, um, the ANC has become a morass of corruption. Cyril Ramaphosa was Zuma's vice president, and he kept his mouth shut for a very long time. Uh, you know, it was politically expedient for him to do so. But he was clearly very unhappy with what was going on, and he has close ties to business, having cut his ties with the union movement a long time ago. And he's a sort of good governance kind of guy, but at the same time, let's bring the ANC back to the moral high ground that it has always occupied. And we can talk about this in a moment, but his acceptance speech was very interesting for what he said about that. Oh, really? Yeah, well, you know, he, he said essentially two, three things. The first thing he said was, we understand that this is not an overwhelming majority for me or for the people who were supporting me and that the ANC is deeply divided and that what we've heard from the membership is the, the absolute need for unity and that we promise you we will give you a united, not a, no longer a fractious leadership that, will be, that remains to be seen whether he can pull that off, but it's it was a message that was clearly delivered in some way or other. The second, the Congress voted independently of the leadership in, in, in debates for the implementation of what is called in South Africa <clears throat> radical economic tr- transformation, and the big symbol of which is land reform without compensation. So that went through very dramatically, and in his speech, uh, Ramaphosa says, yes, we're going to do that. We heard, and we're going to do that, and we've got to undermine the rest of uh, economic apartheid. But, he said, the Congress resolution also says that we must do so without disrupting the economy or threatening food security. So he's left himself a couple of outs, and he's clearly playing the populist card at the moment, which was being played also by his chief rival for the um, for the presidency, in Kosasana. Uh, uh, Lamini Zuma, who was the former chairperson of the African Union and has occupied various very senior posts in the South African government since 1994, and is incidentally the former wife of Jacob Zuma, and she was his stalking horse. Um, all the people who wanted 
to maintain essentially the status quo with a more leftist populist rhetoric, but very little content. Content were put it, put their um, the money behind Kosasana Limini Zuma, and they came very close. You know, it was 179 votes out of almost 5,000. So, oh boy, that was tight. Very tight. And of the six senior leaders, leaders of the ANC, what is called the Premier League, three are from Ramaphosa's camp, including himself, and three are from Nkosasana Dlemini's camp, including the crucial position of the General Secretary of the ANC as a party. Mm. Oh, that guy oh. only won by 24 votes, and 69 votes disappeared. in the, So there was a whole lot of stuff going on. But I think what is happening now, is that there is very, very, very intense horse trading going on. Uh, press reports seem to indicate that the people who rallied behind Nkosasana Dlamini Zuma are accepting that Jacob Zuma will have to go before the end of his term expires as President of the Republic. Oh, really? Yeah. Because he uh, could uh, theoretically stay until 2019 and the elections. He could stay until uh, until April, May 19, 2019, yes. Uh, that would be electoral suicide for the ANC, and everybody understands that. I mean, <clears throat> Jacob Zuma is now in the position that P.W. Boote was in 1989 when he gave up the leadership of the National Party, ironically. Every one of his enemies in the party, including those who had proclaimed loudly that they were going to support him, turned on him immediately and stabbed him in the back. I mean, it, Zuma's control over the levers of power are is infinitely diminished. He still has control over the levers of state power, but not in the party, and that's where all credibility in the ANC comes from. It doesn't come from being in a, a cabinet minister. It comes from having support in the party. So uh, his ability to hand out patronage is very severely damaged, and nobody in the ANC who is not retiring for the next election wants to see the ANC lose the election. So they all understand that Zuma is now a very serious millstone around their neck. And there are significant press reports that indicate that uh, there are discussions ongoing at the moment. Some people seem to indicate that this might come to a head when the National Executive Committee meets on the 8th of January. I doubt it will happen by then. Um, some people say that nothing can be done until Parliament reconvenes in early February when Zuma is down to give the State of the Union address. Uh, and there are various ways that he could be got rid of. And I think that his people, I could be wrong, but I think that his people now are very seriously trying to extract two things from this intense horse trading. One is a guarantee that he will not be prosecuted because he has, you know, hundreds of uh, of charges that have been stayed against him. I mean, 783 on one dossier and a large number on another. And the, the, the uh, Supreme Court has declared that he has violate, seriously violated his constitution. The ANC Integrity Commission has said the same and called on him to resign. Uh, and he has been forced to institute a commission on state capture. And if that is by the Guptas and other <laughs> elements in the in the business community, and that is likely to reflect very badly on him. So what he wants now, I don't know whether he can get it, but he wants some kind of guarantee that he will not be prosecuted, and he also wants to keep his pension, because oh the gosh. South African Constitution makes three provisions for the removal of a president. Uh, the one is that he can resign, which is what Thabo Mbeki did. Uh, he resigned when the ANC recalled him. 
He didn't have to resign because the Constitution makes no provision for the governing party recalling its leader and saying that somebody must resign as a result. And Becky did, did so because he was a good and loyal foot soldier of the ANC, and I'm sure that Zuma will not do so unless he gets fairly cast-iron guarantees on the things that I said about. He's got a pretty clear history of sticking in there whenever yeah. he can exploit it. Yeah, his. but he's lost, his, he's lost his power over the party. You mm. know, well, the last time there was a no-confidence vote, something like 40 MPs voted against him despite a very strict parliamentary whip. Uh, now, Ramaphosa is not likely to impose that whip. So that the second way that he could be got rid of is a no-confidence vote in, in the House of Parliament. And, and any MP at any stage can introduce a resolution of no, of no confidence. And if that happens, the whole government has to resign, including the, the present vice president, who is Cyril Ramaphosa. Um, and a new government has to be formed by the majority party. Uh, if that happens, uh, Zuma's position, moral position and ability to negotiate some kind of deal which will keep him out of prison, and he also has, he owns, he owes tens if not hundreds of millions in back taxes, he hasn't declared his taxes for donkey's years. Um, you know, he's in serious trouble now, and uh, you saw that on his face when the result of the, uh, the presidential election was announced. First, third way he could go would be impeached, be impeached by Parliament. And that requires a two-thirds vote of MPs. And if that happens, he loses all of his privileges, including his pension. Uh, if he loses office as a result of a uh, serious uh, uh, no confidence, he doesn't lose his pension. And the Constitution provides three grounds on which the president can be impeached <clears throat> by a two-thirds vote of the, of the House, of, or House of Assembly right. or Parliament. If he, if he or she commits a serious violation of the Constitution or law, and the Supreme Court has already declared that he has committed a serious violation of the Constitution, and if these hundreds of charges against him are laid, he's clearly in violation of the law. Secondly, if he commits serious misconduct, which he has also seriously done. Uh, and uh, the third is if he's unable to perform the functions of his office, if he's sick or something. So... You know, it's a period where wow. everything is up for grabs. Um, the factions are realigning. Everybody understands that Ramaphosa is now the president, but he doesn't control the party. Yes, because he of the division and the, the executive there. Yeah, so he's doing the horse trading. He has a slim majority in the National Executive Committee, but he doesn't control the, the key two posts in the party, which are the General Secretary and the Deputy General Secretary. Um, so he will be trying to win these people over. Uh, God knows what he can offer them. Um, but it's in everybody's interest in the ANC now to get rid of Zuma as quickly as they can, because the elections are coming up. The Democratic Alliance made a lot of, which is the principal opposition party, made a lot of running uh, on the ANC corruption and is won over a significant section of the black middle class. The Economic Freedom Front Fighters, which is the Julius Malema splinter group, this so-called leftist group, which is not really very left, uh, <laughs> but is, has radical populist rhetoric. And pretty noisy. <laughs> pretty noisy and very violent, uh, you know, and quite vicious. Um, but um, these, they have managed to carve out for themselves a space on the rhetorical ideological left of South African politics, if, if uh, Ramaphosa seriously wants 
to win this election with a significant majority, he has to cut deeply into the EFF gains. And he has to do so by being seen to believe to be being credible on his promise about a radical economic transformation. Right, right. He has to rebuild his relationship with the unions and particularly get over his his terrible position on the Maracana massacre. Oh my gosh. And he also has to convince business and this new powerful African middle class, which is not for radical economic transformation at all, because it threatens their you know, their new goodies. He has to convince them that South Africa will not become a Zimbabwe. There will not be what happened in Zimbabwe when the land occupation started. Uh, and already the very far-right Afrikaner Freedom Front is threatening a constitutional challenge to the ANC resolution about uh, land reform without economic, without uh, compensation. So there is, an, uh, there is a boiling pot there going on. Oil and water, you know, you can throw in all the metaphors you like. Anybody who says they know how this is going to pan out is talking through the back of their head. Uh, <laughs> man, man, it's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. It's fascinating for a political junkie. It's terrifying for those of us who care very deeply about that country. Um, I, I have a, a question, if, if I can take you back to a little bit of background uh, again, Dan, because uh, you were very much close to all of this. But at, at, at one point, Ramaphosa was, was uh, looking like he was the, uh, the anointed heir of uh, Nelson Mandela after having done everything he did with the Constitution and the, the, the 87 strikes and, and working through the yep. negotiations through to, to, to getting apartheid out. And, and it seems there was a struggle even at that time between uh, forces that uh, Thabo Mbeki took control of and, and squeezed Ramaphosa out. What, what was behind that? And, and has that got any impact today? Is that what uh, you see? It, to some extent. I mean, Ramaphosa handled it very badly because what he did was he threw his toys out of the crib and said, I'm, if I can't be, you know, can't, you, I can't get my way, I'm not going to play. Uh, what happened was essentially that Mandela had a choice to make about who should be the ANC vice president. And the ANC at that stage was newly back in the country, and there was a very clear division between the old exiles, the people who had run the movement in exile through the very dark days and from prison, and Zuma was very much of that group, as was Thabo Mbeki, and um, the internal leadership, the new internal leadership that had grown, grown up, loyal to the ANC, but not a creature of the ANC, and Ramaphosa was very much part of that. Yes, Exactly. Uh, so and dynamic and 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 and, oh, yeah, and, and yeah. apparently honest and and oh, representative yeah, yeah. of the people. You know, I think as I've said to you before, I think Mandela made some very very major mistakes that are significantly responsible for the mess that South Africa tra finds itself in now. And one of them was choosing Thabo Mbeki. He did so, I think, for complicated reasons. I know that uh, his closest long-time political comrade Walter Susulu said to him that he had to do so because Tabo, uh, because Oliver Tambo had chosen Tabo Mbeki as Tambo's own heir, heir to the throne, and that is true, and that if um, Mandela wanted to be true to Tambo, he should stick with Mbeki. Uh, I know that he, he also had had a long and very fractious relationship, particularly when they were in prison together on Robben Island with Mbeki's father who was a leading communist Absolutely. and very critical of Mandela's sometimes, uh, how should you put this, highly individualist leadership. 
And it was a way of rebuilding links with particularly the Eastern Cape ANC, which is the was the traditional heartland of the ANC and from which Mandela, Susulu, Mbeki, Krishani, all of those people came. Okay. But it wasn't a, a straight exile internal leadership split because I know that Joe Slovo and Chris Hani were very much in favor of Ramaphosa. Um, you know, maybe Chris Hani would have got it, though I doubt it, had he lived, because he was clear he wanted to stay as the general secretary of the South African Communist Party. So that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there, mm. and it's further complicated by the fact that all of the top leadership of the exile ANC, with very few exceptions, and this includes Zuma and Thabo Mbeki, were very senior leaders of the South African Communist Party in, in exile. Uh, Mbeki was the chairman of the party. And the minute the ANC was unbanned, they left the party, refused to rejoin it when it reformed itself as a legal party in South Africa, and made a dive to the political center to shore up a political base with a new emerging middle class. Oh, there you go. Uh, in, in, you know... Thabo Mbeki was not a, is not a corrupt and dishonest man. I mean, I didn't agree with him politically at all, but I have great respect for his political integrity. Uh, Zuma is not that kind of person. Zuma was the point person in KwaZulu-Natal because he's a Zulu, and you remember the tremendous violence of that mm. time, and he managed to deal with that quite adroitly and over a long period of time, cut the wind from under the political sails of the Inkata Freedom Party. The price of doing so was for him to become something of a Zulu traditionalist, and some even suggest tribalist. Absolutely. Uh, so he is a very, 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 very different person now, from the person he was in exile. Although Ronnie Caswell has just bought out a book and says that, well, he's not all that different. He would, there was all that, always that streak in him. Now, just just to, so that people understand a little bit more Ramaphosa, uh, you know, be, before uh, before uh, everything ended in the uh, middle eighties, he was a very um, um, in, influential, important, critical figure uh, with NUMSA, the National Union yes. Mine Workers of South Africa, and uh, and led a huge strike in eighty seven that was mm -hmm. critical to pushing things forward. But uh, after the trajectory, after uh, Tabo was uh, anointed heir to uh, Mbeki, uh, could you just give us a little bit of background on there? To, to yeah, I, you were right. Cyril Ramaphosa was the key person in the negotiations, and I have it on on good authority from people like Joe Slovo and other very senior people in the in the negotiating process that Tabo really messed up. He's part of the negotiations, particularly with uh, with um, Inkata Freedom Party and Chief Butelezi, and that it was Cyril Ramaphosa who came in in the last moment and saved the whole the whole thing. If you remember, the IFP was going to boycott the election, oh, which yeah. would have been would have been a catastrophe. It was getting nasty, nasty. Yeah, and Ramaphosa very seriously expected that he would be made vice president, and he was apparently, from what I have been told, very bitter when he was told by Mandela that he would not be vice president, and Mandela offered him any other post in the cabinet. And he basically said, I don't want any other post in the cabinet. At that stage, he was already general secretary of the ANC, which is the second most important position in the party. Exactly. And he said, I want to be the head of the Constitution Committee. 
So he wrote the Constitution. I mean, he was a member of Parliament, and he was the principal person responsible for this astonishing, I mean, the most liberal... One of the most progressive constitutions. Most pro progressive constitution in the world. And that was his achievement. The second it was adopted, he resigned. And that's what I mean when I said he took his toys and he threw them out of the crib. Instead of staying in and fighting the fight within the party, which is what the real political bruises do, and anybody who had been in the ANC in exile knew that's what you do. You don't have a, you know, a hissy fit and leave, and, uh, and you leave, and then you take a huge job offered to you by white business, and you become one of the richest people in the country. Um, so he, by doing that, I mean, first of all, he was seen to act in a kind of immature way. Uh, and then he distanced himself from politics for a very long time. For yeah, the entire he, he period. disappeared from the scene. He was from 96 to 2008, 2009. You know, he was a businessman. Uh, and uh, then when Becky got shafted by an internal coup d'etat led by Zuma, uh, Zuma decided at that stage the entire left was supporting Zuma. You know, it was a, a monumental mistake. Oh. Uh, some of some people told them that it was a monumental mistake, but they all believed that they could control Zuma. And uh, Zuma had to shore up his credibility with the left. So one of the ways in which he did so was to appoint Communist Party figures to key positions. And the other was to bring back Cyril as his vice president. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, Cyril has had to toe the line and swallow a lot of humble pie. I mean, I was fascinated by what he said about Zuma in his acceptance speech at the, at the, at the conference. He ended this long speech, it was a 45-minute or so speech, and he thanked Baba, as he's called, which is the Zulu and Kosa word for father. And he thanked him for his long and courageous uh, service in the struggle, which Zuma is due all the thanks for that. And then he thanked him for putting him in his cabinet, and he thanked him. He said, what we will miss for you from you, and this is the key thing, he said, we will miss your jokes. Zuma is a man with a great sense of humor and great charm. And he says, we will miss your candies. He used the South African word sweets. He didn't say we will miss your leadership. He didn't say we will miss your vision. He didn't say we will miss your integrity. He basically said, <coughs> you know, you're a lightweight. Uh, and thank you for everything you've done. And the book on you is closed now. Well. So <laughs> uh, Zuma's face throughout of this was a, um, was a picture in... Uh, in a man who's beginning to realize that the chickens are coming home to roost now. Well, it's a, an exciting time, an interesting time. And of course, uh, as you say, uh, we don't know where there's chickens are going to roost yet. So we're going to watch out for what's yeah. going on over the next little while. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for this, Dan. Very, very insightful and, and, and wow. Thank you. You're very welcome, Doug. Take care. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye.